They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Before I preach the word I believe the Lord's given me to preach, I just can't pass by commenting on just how exciting it is hearing that gospel almost every time of like imagining the excitement in the room when Jesus is sort of, you know, it's any old Sunday. I mean, for them it was a Saturday, but, you know, they're gathered together and they're reading the scroll and all of a sudden he's reading it. And as we know from his teaching that he spoke as one with authority, the very way he read it must have captured their hearts. And then he sits down and says, everyone's looking at him and he's like, this just got fulfilled. Like the excitement and the bewilderment, it's such a fantastic moment to think of at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, okay, now to the sermon proper. Uh, um, the poet John Donne is not rightly remembered adequately as he was also an Anglican priest. Um, and it was he who coined the phrase, no man is an island. Have you heard that phrase, like no man is an island? Right. Um, he was speaking at a time when most folks in, the, in his country were Christians. And the deep truth of what he's getting at is actually more found in this t- to say, no Christian is an island. No Christian is an island. Uh, this is the great vision of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? Um, that as closely as finger is joined to hand, is joined to arm, that's how closely we are united in the one body of Christ. The uh, implications of 1 Corinthians 12 are many, but I want to zoom in on just one extraordinarily particular one this morning. And to sum it up, it's this, that if we want to hear from God, which I hope you all do, right? If we want to hear from God, we need each other. If we want to hear from God, we need each other. We need, actually, to be more specific, we need the church. Even more specifically, we need the labors of those who have studied and given themselves to the revelation of God, to the scriptures, to the study of sacred things, if we want to hear God speaking to us. Now, the moment I wrote that, I realized, man, this sounds like I'm trying to pump up myself as the preacher. (laughs) Um, I promise that's not my intention this morning. Um, What is my intention? What I want to convince you of, what I hope to convince you of this morning, um, is that when it comes to religion, what we're convicted of about God, to what is true teaching, I really hope that we would abandon the idea that it's just me and God. When it comes to discerning God's truth, that it's just me and God in that equation. Because God, he absolutely has redeemed each of us individually, He absolutely has given each of us the Holy Spirit individually to understand the things of God. That's true. But he hasn't saved us into an individual life. He's saved us into a corporate life, into a body. Our connection to each other, um, the fact that sometimes in understanding God, as I'm going to explain in just a minute, there are human links in the chain, is a feature and not a bug of living in the body, right? 
The fact that my body has an eye means my toe cannot stub itself on things. I wish it did that more, actually. Um, but the body is interconnected in this way and is served by the different parts of the body. Um, this is exactly what we see taking place in the ministry of Ezra that we heard about in Nehemiah, right? So Ezra gets up and reads from this Hebrew scroll to the Jewish people who've regathered back in Jerusalem after a hundred years of, of exile in Babylon. The trouble is, after a hundred years of living in Babylon, they don't speak the Hebrew that Moses wrote in anymore. They speak Aramaic. And those two languages are as different as today's English and Chaucer's English, like of the Canterbury Tales. Like, it kind of sounds like English, but it's pretty hard to follow, right? Um, so the people needed interpreters. That's what I read in verse 8, that the interpreters, those names very well read by Joe, um, in a ceremony, they call that the, the Jerusalem phone book when you get like those long <laughs> lists of names. Um, those guys gave the sense. So Ezra's reading in Hebrew, which they don't understand, and so these interpreters give the sense. And I love at the end of the reading, it says, and the people rejoiced because they understood. They understood what God was speaking to them through the ancient writings. Those interpreters, I love, anytime there's a long list of names in the scriptures, it, to me it's a fresh reminder of God's specific care for us as individuals, that when Masiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, Peliah, Hadiah, Shabbatai, Akub, Jamin, and so on, when they gave the sense, um, the people were able to rejoice. They, those guys translated and they explained the meaning. By the way, if you're curious, we still have their explanations. If you Google Aramaic Targum, you can actually see the explanations that sort of derived from um, the scribes of Ezra. And what I want to offer is that our situation is kind of similar today to the Jews that had returned to Jerusalem. Um, so track with me kind of through this sequence. So let me ask you, what is the primary way that God speaks to us to direct our lives? What's the primary way? The Word. The word. Thank you. The Bible, right? That, that, that was not a trick question. I know sometimes I ask trick questions, but the Bible, right? If we want to hear the direction of God, what does it mean to obey him? What does it mean to live into his promises? The Bible is the best, the only place actually to get that, um, the Bible. But if I were to read to you, Kaihu pestrepsen ho yesu en te dunamai tonumatos aisten galop. It's incomprehensible, right? But that's what Luke wrote at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, verse 14. He wrote in a language we don't understand, Greek. The only reason I understand a little bit of that is because someone else taught me a bit of Greek who was himself relying, and I relied on a book to write that down that scholars had, who collected all the manuscripts, Christians had compiled together, who were themselves relying on the faithful labors of monks in the dark ages who were hand copying those things meticulously. And when we read our English translations, we're indebted to thousands of scholars through centuries who labored and prayed over every word. You know, what's the best word to bring forth the meaning of God's communication to his people? So as a simple matter of fact, for us to hear the Bible read, to, to, to hear the word of God, we need, well, immediately, a lector to read. We need a book to read from. Um, we need each other in the body of Christ. 
Right? We need scholars to write commentaries to help the preacher make sense of it. We need um, a preacher to, to, to make sense of it. We need all these present ministries and underneath them all these ministries of the body of Christ in the past to make the word of God accessible to us. And this is a feature and not a bug. It means that Jesus has stitched us all together to rely on the various places God has called each of us so that we can all gather together as they did in Ezra's time to receive God's direction, to receive his holy word. Um, and for uh, 80 generations now, the church has been faithfully passing down the word of God to us, generation after generation, both the literal texts written by the prophets and the apostles, um, but also how they learn to read the texts from the apostles. And we, every disciple of, in Christianity has had a discipler. And you could trace, I wish, sometimes you get to make these connections. I went to church, at a church in Wisconsin one time, and I met a lady who was uh, about in her mid-80s, and she, 60 years ago, brought a teenager to the, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when that woman grew up, she took in my mother when she was 17 and shared the gospel with her, and she became a Christian. And because my mother was a Christian, I got to hear the faith. So I got to see a piece of this genealogy of discipler to discipled. And I, I met her, and I just started crying. I said, that means you're my spiritual great-grandma. And we just hugged, and it was really sweet. Um, her name was Karen Swanson. Um, is. She's still alive. Uh, you know, there's this handing down of the faith. And, and actually, if we had the eyes of the angels, we could actually see that sort of unbroken tree of branches all the way back to the time of the apostles and to Jesus himself, that the church has had this continuous witness. And what's really interesting, you who know me know I love church history. What you see time and time again in early church history is some selfish man comes forward and says, Jesus, you've got it all wrong. Jesus actually said, and then he rattles off a bunch of lies. And then the church would raise up and say, um, that's not the faith as our fathers taught it to us. It's not the faith plainly there in the scriptures. What you're saying can't be true. Like the church who's handed down faithfully the word of God rejects what you're saying. So the church has always relied when folks have come against the truth, as in our own day in different quarters, they're coming against the truth. The church in the present had to just, hasn't had to just sort of say, okay, what's our best way of combating that argument? They just say, no, no, no. All the faith that we've received rejects that. The word of God rejects that. And we are able to understand the word of God because as the body of Christ, we've been translating it and listening to it together. Sunday after Sunday, quiet time after quiet time, um, there's a sense of, no, that, that's not the faith. That we can actually rely on the interconnection, not just with the church in the present, but the church in the past. Um, I'm taking all this time to kind of belabor one single point. <laughs> um, because I think that most of us, and this has been true, I think, for about 100 years, which in church time is very recently. Um, most of us think that when it comes to matters of the truth, the only person that's needed is me, right? I don't need anybody else to help me to discover the to understand the truth. I can solve it by myself. And the trouble with this attitude is not only does it ignore the connectedness we have in the body of Christ, but we're actually guaranteed to go wrong, right? 
um, to be led into error, error that could be costly and could actually, over time, lead us away from God. Because each of us, every single one of us, um, has been scarred and blinded by our sins. And even it's actually our sins. You know how when you put a leech on, you don't know that there's a leech? Maybe this is a Wisconsin thing. Are there leeches down here? No? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Lots of leeches in Wisconsin. You don't know they're there because they have a thing that kind of anesthetizes you to their bite. And so you get out of the lake and it's like, ah! um, Sin is like that. You, can't, you don't even feel that it's sort of leeching off you, that it's hurt you, but, but, it, but it has. And so if we rely just on our own vision, we're guaranteed to go astray. If, on the other hand, um, it's very interesting. You know, the Greek word for to go out on one's own is idios, from where we get the word idiot. To, like, to just completely blaze your own trail is to actually depart from sort of the, the safe, blessed sort of connection and continuity that we have in the church that God has placed us in. Um, we can't go out on our own unassisted. It's not safe to do so. Um, Instead, as, as members of one body, we should actually have a sort of humility about our own minds towards the mind of the church of the past. That one of the things I ask myself at every juncture of sort of trying to learn about the truth is, okay, what does the Word of God say? That's number one. And how has the church understand, understood that? Has, it all, has this verse always been kind of confusing to the church? Or for 2,000 years, has there been kind of one voice about how it should be interpreted? And to have a, um, and the only word I could think of is docile spirit towards the faith as it's been received. Rather than thinking, no, 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 I'm going to solve all this by myself. To rely on the connectedness in the church. Now, let me be clear what I'm not saying. Um, just because you write a book on theology or have a PhD or go to seminary or are a preacher doesn't mean you always say right things, right? Um, so I'm not saying just trust the credentialed. Please hear me. Um, not at all. Everything needs to be plainly demonstrated in Holy Scripture. It is the thing we need to understand. All of the scholarly labor and the church tradition, it's all just on-ramps and invitations to hear the holy words of the Bible. But it is the holy words of the Bible that are the final court and the decision. But as we approach it, we shouldn't approach like, I'm going to solve all these texts on myself, by myself. But instead to join the church and say, well, how has, this, how has this been taught? How can we listen to this closely? That the church, like the scribes in Ezra's day, are very useful, is very useful at explaining the sense. Um, I'm really happy to be preaching this sermon in a moment where there aren't some big controversies dividing the church because then it would, you'd think I was just trying to stake my claim on one side. And I will have to do that, I'm sure, in time to come with different things. But I'm saying this outside of controversy to offer you this idea that the next time you come to something where there's different opinions and you're controversial and there's the impulse, because as Americans we will have the impulse, so I'm just going to make up my own mind, to actually step back from that and say, well, Lord, in the body that you've connected me to, is there actually, are there some scribes who could help me make sense of this? Is there, is there a faithful witness of continuous teaching that can be relied on? And sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. But when there is, to then say, okay, Lord, well, I'd rather you said this. <laughs> but if your whole church has always brought forward your holy word in this way, I submit myself to that. That spirit of humility to submit, actually, 
to the wisdom of all of the generations that have come before us, the holy men and women who've poured over the scriptures with prayer and fasting and self-denial and study and commitment, some of whom gave their lives, uh, to actually lean into, to, to, to sort of receive as a feature the strength that comes from being part of the connected body of Christ, rather than trying to be a lone wolf theologian. I'm very confident, um, certain actually, that if you do that, if you reject your sort of independent, idios thinking, and have a, a spirit of humility, maybe even being docile to the faith as it's come down to us, proved in Holy Scripture, the joy in the knowledge of God, and actually the growth in Christian learning, it opens the floodgates. Um, it is the key, in fact, that only when we recognize we're part of the body do we more fully connect to the, the head of the body, who is the Lord. Right? All knowledge, all understanding, all wisdom comes from Jesus through his Holy Spirit. But so often it comes mediated through the body, right? Think about a body like the heart, the, the brain sends electrical signals to the body, the heart pumps blood through the body, right? God is ministering to us through his body. He does minister directly, supernaturally, absolutely. But we lean so heavily on that in our present age, we forget that he's also given us this great body. Not just here gathered in this room, but all the saints. I love when we say in the Eucharistic prayer, together with all the company of heaven, right, which is all the saints who've gone before, all the prophets who came before, all those faithful men and women, including all the angels. That's who we join ourselves with, not only in praising God, but in learning about God so that we can praise him. That's how it works. All glory be to our head, Jesus Christ. Amen.